This is your summer days with Ricardo Ball and coming up this hour we are going to catch up with Henry Shipley, the newly named Black Cap. The Canterbury All-Round has been named to the White Ball squads for the India-Pakistan tours in January. We'll catch up with him. Uh, we'll keep your texts rolling through on double eight double three as well. We've got a few there we'll get to shortly but before we do all of that, we're going to catch up with the voice of football for SEN over the ditch, Jordan Canellis. G'day Jordan, how are you? Good, Ricardo. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. I mean, uh, a little bit jaded after the 4 o'clock start to watch that uh, World Cup final. But, man, what a World Cup final. I know. It was unbelievable. Um, we've had uh, we've had a couple of good World Cup finals in a row now. And this one, um, a lot of, I'm still trying to unpack it, honestly. But a lot of people saying that's one of the, the best World Cup finals ever, maybe the best World Cup final ever. And... Um, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it, it probably it will go down as one of the best ones ever. We haven't had many that have gone to uh, penalty shootouts of the of the 22 finals we've had. Uh, that's the third, and that one is one of the highest scoring finals we've had as well. You don't often get six goals in a World Cup final. We did four years ago, but normally prior to that, it's pretty cagey, sort of one nil, uh, you know, maybe two nil. But uh, to have so many goals scored. Um, to have the two star players from, from both teams, Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe, doing so well. A hat-trick from Mbappe, controversial penalties, and then ending with uh, with Lionel Messi winning the trophy. Uh, everything just uh, converged together to make it a really nice uh, final and, uh, and, yeah, very entertaining. Yeah, it was... <laughs> incredibly entertaining final. I was trying to compare it to other finals. I mean, you know, there have been some that have been absolute yawns, like the 2010-2014 finals weren't great. I don't think 2002 was particularly good, um, or the one in the US either. But, I mean, 82 was the first one I remember that was great. 86 was up there, and, yeah, probably 98 as well. Um, I don't know where it sits for you, if you've managed to unpack that yet. Um. Not, not, not quite. But I think from from the ones that I've seen anyway, or well, most of them from in the twenty first century, this one probably sits right up there. Uh, the ones prior to that are a bit early for me, but the but definitely the ones from from yeah the last six, five, six, seven uh, World Cup finals. It's probably yeah it definitely ranks um, up above most of them. Um, the last two, as I said, have been pretty good. But yeah, you probably are going back to. Back to the uh, to, to the eighties when the scores were a bit higher and they were a bit more sort of open. Uh, that's that's how far back you have to go for it to to be sort of um, you know in, in the same ballpark as those finals. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, well, what about the uh, the game itself? I mean, the French didn't turn up for the first seventy minutes, did they? And you know, for all the people that were you know taking to Twitter to talk about how good Mbappe was, I I actually tweeted out. I was like, can somebody tell me when he got subbed on? I must have missed it. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, they were. Uh, I mean, Mbappe's been pretty quiet the last couple of uh, games. He it was he went missing against England in the quarterfinals. He went missing uh, in the semi-final against Morocco, and then he went missing for the first eighty minutes of this game. And, and really, France, the entire French team, did, especially for the first half in particular, where Argentina were just on top um, all the way through. They were they were they were bullying the French. They were so good. They were just tightening everything they did in defence. Um, closing down any time a French player looked even remotely to get close um, to, to closer towards goal in, in the Argentinian half, Argentina would send out a player to press up, win the ball back, and then and uh, and then and then counter attack the other way. And so France never really had any time on the ball at all. They had no possession. They were completely out of the game in the first half. And Argentina were doing everything magnificently. Um, it was kind of funny because 
Argentina had they brought Angel Di Maria back into the team, hadn't played since the, the group stage, out with an injury. Um, they brought him on to play on the left wing, and he played almost exclusively on the left wing. And there wasn't really a right winger. Both Alvarez and Messi were playing in the middle. So it was Di Maria on the left, Alvarez and Messi in the middle, and no one on the right. So it made it pretty obvious that Argentina were going to go down the left flank. I mean, they were telegraphing that play pretty much every single time to the French, and still uh, Argentina were getting the better of the French because of how good Di Maria was. And it's unbelievable his ability, having missed the last three games. Um, he was only subbed on very briefly in the quarterfinal. Um, but coming on and having an instant impact and, and being probably... I actually don't know who officially won the man of the match, but I think, it, in my opinion, it should have been Di Maria if it wasn't. Um, and then and then all of a sudden, France, just when they needed to, they scored. Uh, well, they got they got lucky first by getting a penalty, and then Mbappe just pulled one out of nowhere. And from being completely out of the game, they were suddenly back in it off, off two flash goals. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the Argentinians should have been well out of sight by then, right? With the amount of possession they had, the amount of chances they had. Um, I had uh, Noel Barclay, former all-white striker, on with us just after 10 o'clock. And, you know, he brought up something that, I thought during the match deserved closer scrutiny and that was the penalty call for the challenge on McAllister um, which would have made it 3-0 um, but uh, didn't even seem like VR went upstairs for that was that something that stood out for you? Uh, yes, I'm trying to recall that incident now. Um, I do remember one that that went unfounded though. Yeah, Upencarmo um, put his shoulder basically into McAllister's back. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was a couple of I thought the referees in general, just to make a general comment, I thought they were okay, but some of those some of those closer calls around the edge of the box were a little, or either inside or around the edge of the box were a bit dubious. They probably left a few that could have been given. They probably gave a few that shouldn't have been given, like the Di Maria penalty. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, being 2-0 up in the 80th minute, you should be able to see it out from there. So uh, I don't know if they... I don't know if really, looking back on it, they, they should have needed a third goal because they was in such uh, tight control of the game after being up 2-0 with 10 minutes to go. Yeah, I mean, you would have thought they would have learned that lesson from the Dutch because they did the same there, but they, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't. Uh, where, does, where does this leave the uh, the Messi-Ronaldo chat? Uh, does that chat belong, uh, still exist? I, mean, I, I think it's well and truly been put to bed, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think a World Cup um, definitely elevates Messi higher than Ronaldo. It's the ultimate glory in, in, in world football. I mean, both players are unbelievable. Uh, regardless, they're both incredible footballers who, who will define this generation. Um, but uh, but Messi winning the trophy now, this is especially at the end of his career. It's it kind of it's timed perfectly actually because if he had won it earlier in his career, it might have still. Because they're, they're, you know, if he'd won it, let's say, at 25 years old instead of 35, there would have been so much more still in his career to go. And maybe with time, that World Cup victory becomes a little more diluted. But because he's won it at the end of his career, and this will be sort of the last major thing he does, most likely, in his career, it's kind of the perfect send-off. And that will be, this will be our most, our, our freshest memory forevermore about Lionel Messi as a player. So it kind of puts him, it gives him that, that step ahead of, of Ronaldo, and there's really not much now that either player can do. Ronaldo's starting to slow up as a player. Messi's done it all; he's done everything he needs to do. So, um, I mean, I like I like Messi anyway, better as a player. And I'm not; I don't really partake in the in the, the rivalry between uh, Messi fans and Ronaldo fans. I don't mind the debate in general about discussing who's better, but the, sometimes you get Ronaldo fans who will show you know hatred almost towards Lionel Messi, which is a bit juvenile. 
Um, but but Lionel Messi for me is I think he's the more skillful player and and has uh, has brought more joy I think to a lot more people around the world than Ronaldo has. That's no slight on Ronaldo, but I just think Messi's a better player. And now the accolades probably points to that being the, the case. Yeah, I was going to say I, I think uh, Piers Morgan's just about jumped the shark. Uh, I saw him on Twitter this morning <laughs> saying it wasn't a penalty and then suggesting that the French side had been deliberately poisoned. It wasn't a virus. Uh, he's he's gone <laughs> he's gone full Ronaldo fanboy after their interview. Hey uh, Jordan, I mean we've had a we've had a really good tournament on the field, right? Um, all the political stuff mm-hmm. aside, off the field with Qatar, but we've had a really good tournament on the field. Been a really good tournament too for Australia. Uh, you know, I don't think. I don't think anybody rated Graham Arnold going into this tournament, and 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 then you look what he did. Um, so props to him, and you know a lot of excitement in Australian football about what the Socceroos achieved. But it feels like between the APL decision to sell Grand Finals to uh, Sydney and the Melbourne Victory fans at the Melbourne Derby, all the all that good work has been well and truly undone. It has been. It has been. Yeah, I was. Um, I was really, really. Uh, shattered really by by the the incidents from uh, two nights ago. Um, yeah, fo- football in, uh, in in this country, and I don't know if this resonates with with you guys in New Zealand as well. I know rugby union's a massive sport over there, but it is it, the sport in this part of the world feels like it's always just fighting a, an uphill battle to be seen and be recognised and be respected in the same way as the other mainstream sports are, like Aussie rules here, cricket um, for both our nations, and it feels like the sport. Uh, just is always kind of on the outer. Whenever there's a good thing that happens, it's always it's a, there's a, a groundswell of emotion um, from from obviously the general fans of of sport, but also it's really sort of those big moments, those good moments are really cherished by the the football enthusiasts. And so, off the back of the World Cup um, and and the great stuff that the Aussies did, all of the the football. The sort of the true football fan, or the, the long-term football fans, I'll say in Australia, felt like this was a, a, a seminal moment. That this was football getting back into into the spotlight, a chance for the sport to be uh, recognised and and move forwards and have good things happen to it, whatever that means. Whether it's more participants at, at youth level, whether it's incoming uh, potential government funding, which which it needs. Um, you know, better for corporates, better for, you know, the long-term women's game, et cetera, et cetera. There was all these sort of things that the door could have been open for that off the back of the World Cup. And in a flash, it, it just was completely out the window after what happened, what felt like that anyway, after what happened on Saturday night. Who knows what the long-term effects are actually going to be. Um, but, yeah, it's really disappointing that, yet again, football seems to shoot itself in the foot uh, in Australia um, and... And yeah, pretty much any. I don't know if this is overly being too pessimistic, but it does feel like that any all, all of the goodwill that was built from the World Cup is now just completely gone, just disintegrated with with what happens. And it felt it, a lot of people were calling it the darkest day in, in football in Australia. Um, maybe that might be the case for the modern era since the A League uh, has has been around. Um, but yeah, I, I sort of haven't felt as. I've never really felt as disillusioned with the game or with the league anyway and with Melbourne victory as I did on that Saturday night. Time will, will heal that and I'd already started, it's already started to do that, but never really felt uh, any, me personally, never really felt any sort of um, ill will towards the sport like I did. And that was just, I guess that's just how sort of serious the moment was. Yeah, it was incredibly 
serious, as you put it. Uh, obviously, you know, seeing the Melbourne City goalkeeper cop a steel bucket to the side of the head, uh, you know, he had, he had blood streaming from his face. The referee got um, caught with that as well. Um, had all those fans come on the on the pitch. I, I know that, you know, some of the victory fans were trying to use it as an, as an excuse that the uh, City keeper threw flares back into the ground or back into the stands as to reason why that there was that reaction. I, I, don't, I don't buy that at all. Um, what do you think is going to happen from here. I mean, from a, from an A League point of view, we see points docked for Melbourne victory games played behind closed doors. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, that's um, that's yeah something along those lines. I think there'll definitely be there'll definitely be bans for those people. There'll definitely be uh, fines. I think for Melbourne victory and and uh, I don't know if players will be suspended. The players that partook, in particular Tom Glover, because. He was uh, his his crime was a lot less throwing the flare back, but it still might be something that gets punished. I don't know. That's sort of by the by. Um, but I think it's it's a really this is a, a an important moment now for football administration in this country to make the right decisions. You know, an administration which is critis- has been criticised uh, by the fans as recently as the last week with that decision for the grand final last week. Um, so it's an important time now in Australian football that the leadership is strong. And, and makes a tough uh, call and, and makes, um, you know, dishes out severe enough punishments that, that, are, that uh, fit appropriately to the crimes. Um, so that, that's the short term. And then, yeah, point, points deduction, I think, is probably... I think that's probably part of the course. It feels like we've, we've seen that before for incidents that have happened similar to this in Australian sports and in world football as well. So I think that's kind of... I think that's, that, that fits... And that's the short term. And then to sort of expand on what this means for Australian football in the long term, it, it, it's, I mean, you don't want to, I don't want to be too pessimistic about this, but it is a, and again, sort of to the first point I was making earlier, this could be something that really tarnishes the image of the sport in this country. Hopefully not severe enough that it, that it's, um, that it ruins sort of the commercial viability of the sport, because that's something that has always, uh, that the A League has always struggled with, with you know, particularly recently after the Fox Sports uh, Australia TV broadcast rights deal um, was was ended and not renewed, and then uh, you know the A League struggled to find a new broadcaster. Eventually, landing with Paramount. Similar story with the major partner it used to be Hyundai, now it's Isuzu, but they had to change hands there. It's just, and, and the game has struggled to find those 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 uh, corporate partners and those broadcast partners. So hopefully, this doesn't sour the relationship between the league. And those partners who are so important to football um, surviving, really, it's it's the it's the it's the lifeblood now. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. It's just football or sport is a business, and you need money. So hopefully, it doesn't tarnish the image of the sport so drastically that that those partners, uh, you know, leave with a sour taste, and and the A League is left to scramble again. Yeah, I mean that's the thing because it's taken all the heat off the APL. You know, the fan groups had all talked to each other and decided a, tw- a walkout at 20 minutes to protest the uh, selling of the grand finals to Sydney was what they were going to do, and that's fine. You know, you, you, you appreciate that, and the fans got to have a voice. Mm. Um, but, you know, uh, you'll know this better than we will here. In, in Australia, in football culture, you know, a lot of fans talk about how they get treated in stadiums. They, port- they get treated poorly by the police and stadium security often, and there have been lots of horror stories over the years about... Uh, heavy-handedness, which is really kind of out of step with what's going on. But all those authorities will now feel vindicated in the things they've done in the past. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah, 
it, it's it's completely ruined any um, sort of progress that the active support had made. I mean, there was what was it now six years ago, seven years ago, with with the first sort of instance of of active of heavy handedness from security towards the active support in the A League, and there were walkouts then as well. The fan fan groups walked out of the stadiums. Uh, different active support groups were had been disbanded because they just felt it was it was futile really trying to be an active support group in the A League. Um, and it had been slowly building back towards uh, how it used to be at the start of the, the league when the active support was, was lively and buzzing. And the last sort of two or three years, all the, the, the games that I've been a part of broadcasting and the people that have been around in football have always have started to sort of comment again more and more in the last two or three years about how good has the active support been from Melbourne Victory and from Sydney FC and Western Sydney Wanderers. Um, and... And we've noticed less and less uh, of a security of a heavy security presence. There's always going to be security, but hasn't been nearly as heavy as it used to be, you know, almost a decade ago or, or just under. Um, but that has now been ruined, and I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be probably heavy-handed security again. If if the games are played with crowds, there's been talk that they might be behind closed doors now for the rest of the season for the victory. But yeah, this is it's it's astonishing, but also. Not surprising that the actions of a few idiots have completely undone the, the the good work that had been built up over the last couple of years. Yeah, 100%, mate. All right. Hey, Jordan, listen, I know you've had a big day, uh, so we'll let you go, mate. But appreciate you coming on, talking World Cup, talking A-League, and giving us some sort of perspective on that too. Anytime, Ricardo. No, a, a pleasure.